Hi everyone, welcome to Into the Archives. While our main sermon podcast, uh, Words from the Wildwood, can be found on Sunday mornings, this is more of a retrospective, a looking back at where I have been, where I preached, what I've had the opportunity to do, and the observations I've made along the way. I hope that you can look back with me at many of these sermons that have come. Some may sound a little dated, but you might be impressed to hear things that were going on then that are still going on today. I hope you enjoy this offering from the archives. All right, guys, tonight I want to talk about something. Barry talked tonight about being unstable, that the country's been unstable, the church has been unstable. Many of our lives have been unstable. The people we prayed for tonight going through physical problems, whether it's a failed skin graft or a port that's been replaced three or four times in the chest, someone who's battling ALS or Alzheimer's or anything else, our lives can seem unstable. But when our lives are unstable, what do we go right back to? If we go right back to the Word of God, we go back to something else too. When all y'all married your wives, would you marry someone that couldn't speak your language at all? And even in the slightest little bit, would you do that? Of course you would. It would hinder communications. Now maybe her English and your Korean wasn't so hot to begin with, but you worked on it. You learned to understand each other. Amen? I know you worked on it because I've heard the stories. Okay, tonight I want to take us back to the book of Deuteronomy and begin with the ABCs. This is the truth. Without a solid understanding of a language, communication is impossible. If you don't even know the ABCs, you can't communicate with a person from another culture of another language group. In the same way, if we're going to say that we follow a holy God, a righteous God, a God who spanketh, a God who judgeth, we have to know how to talk to that God. And God has taken that first step. He is going to show us how to communicate with Him. He's going to show us how to understand Him. And it's found right here. Deuteronomy 5.1. Now the first thing you have to understand about when anytime God talks to you, anytime God communicates, this is important. This is important. You have to understand this. Deuteronomy 5.1. It says this, And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. One sentence. I was tempted to do all tonight's sermon on one sentence. Because I believe this is the foundation of our relationship with the Lord God. With Yahweh God, Jehovah God, this is our foundation. And Moses summoned all of Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel. Stop right there. What's the word hear mean? Okay, if your mama yells at you, you can hear your mama yelling. If your wife yells at you, you can really hear your wife yelling. She's going to get right up in your ear and scream at you, isn't she? Yes, she wants you to hear her. But that's not what this means. Many of you do not hear your wife when she screams at you. Or you can hear the audible tone of her voice. You can hear how loud it is as it beats against your eardrum. But you don't hear her. Because this word right here, Moses summoned them to hear the Lord. That word means to listen with full understanding. Listen with the intent to carry out. When your wife is wah, wah, wahing at you, do you have any intention of hearing anything that she says? Or are you thinking about the baseball scores? Are you thinking about that tire you got to change? Are you thinking about what's the biggest excuse I can use to get out of this room so I don't hear this volume? 
That's the way we treat God. Sometimes we come to God's house. We sit in a Wednesday night service. We sit in a, a small group meeting. We sit in a Sunday service. We sit in other types of services. And we know that we are going to physically hear the word of God. But we have predetermined in our hearts that we are not going to let that word of God touch us, infect us, move us, or change us in any way, shape, or form. Because we believe what? We are right. And if I'm right, there's nothing more I need to hear. Is anybody here omnipotent, omnipresent, and omniscient? Do you know everything? You're everywhere. You can do everything. Nobody like that? Only one person here is like that. That's Lord God Almighty. Amen? That means we all have room to grow. We all have room to learn, right? Listen to what he says. He says, Hear, O Israel, listen and put your understanding. Make it your determination that you're going to hear and do everything I say. And then he says this. Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today. Okay, here's the problem right here. He says those deadly words, statutes and rules. Why do people not like to go to church? I just had this conversation with somebody. You know why? Because they know that God has standards. God has expectations. Now, if you want to look at the churches that prosper today, there are churches that cheapen down and dumb down God's expectations. God doesn't really want you to be holy. He doesn't want you to act in justice and act in mercy. He doesn't want you to sacrifice your right for somebody else's good. Remember that sermon on Sunday? When you think somebody else is wrong, what are you supposed to do? Shut up because it ain't about you. It's about the weaker brother, the brother who's not developed, the brother who's not there. That's what I talked about on Sunday. That's what the Word of God talks about. It says you have to willing to give up. Now, I wonder how many people on Sunday left thinking that was the longest and most terrible sermon he's ever preached. And how many left thinking, you know what, if I really am this smart and this mature and this grown up, what is God asking me to sacrifice and give up for the sake of the weaker brother? See, that's what I leave thinking. What do I need to give up for the sake of the one who isn't as mature and as advanced as I am? That's what I'm thinking. And that's what he says here. Hear the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today. Here he is. And you shall learn them and be careful to do them. Interesting. The word learn is not like from a book. It's not where you look up in a book and you learn a fact and you put it in your head. This word is to be goaded. You know what a goad is, right? Those sharpened wooden poles that they would put and they would affix and the army would use them to fortify their position or um, cattlemen would use them to rein their cattle in to keep them out of dangerous places. The goads had the points going in. Their point was not to kill. Their point was to keep you from going any further toward danger. So this says, hear the rules, hear the statutes that they might goad you. Remember this old saying, people? Spare the rod and spoil the child. How many of us felt the sting of daddy's belt? More than a few times. How about the razor strap? Okay. How many times did your mother say, cut me a switch? And you knew the problem was this. If you cut a little switch, mom would go out and tear down a limb and beat you with it. Because she wanted you to get the point. This is it here. You must be goaded by it. You must be affronted by it. You must be punished by it. You must learn it as if by licks. Believe me, when your father cracked off that four-inch wide leather belt, you learned that mom and dad weren't playing. God's not playing. That you shall learn them. You'll be goaded. You'll be instructed. You'll be corrected by them. And that you will be careful to do them. Now, when you do something, do you always do it with all your heart? No, of course not. 
Sometimes when mom and dad say do something, you do as little as possible to get away, amen? You do just the slightest little bit that you can get away with that they'll say, okay, I guess you did it. That's not this word. Church, mark it down. This is the word to fully accomplish. Think about that. Listen carefully, O Israel, to understand and be fully cognizant of what I tell you. Learn these statutes and rules that I am proclaiming to you today in your hearing, in your presence, and you shall be goaded, corrected, switched by them, and you will be very careful to accomplish them fully. Does that change the verse for you a little bit? Changed it for me when I started looking it up. God expects us to fully, 100% accomplish everything that's in the Ten Commandments. Everything that's in the book of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Everyone skips those books because they're boring. But that's God's standards for his people. That whole collection of five books, that's who God reveals himself to be. So that you will know him, you will understand him, you will understand his expectations. When my dad told me to do something, I knew that it meant do it now, do it right, and do it before I turn around. You know, you had to go do it. This is important. God says, these are my expectations. You have to be very careful to get this stuff done. Let's move on. Deuteronomy 5, 2 through 5 says this. And the Lord said. Okay, so this is important. Why is it important? Because the Lord said it. Listen to this. Yahweh our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. Not with our fathers did Yahweh make this covenant, but with us who are all of us here alive today. Yahweh spoke with you face to face at the mountain out of the midst of the fire while I stood between Yahweh and you at that time to declare to you the word of Yahweh for you were afraid because of the fire and you did not go up into the mountain. See, he's taking them right back to the nuts and the bolts of their walk with God. He's taking them back to the first moment that they came into physical contact with the God they've been called to serve. In Egypt, they had heard about God. They had seen kind of his works. They had seen the plagues. They had seen the deliverance. They had seen it in the Red Sea, in the cloud by day, in the fire by night. They had seen that manifestation of God, but now they were going to see and hear God as they had never done it before. I am firmly convinced that most people do not serve God because they do not know he is real. They do not believe that God is the living, holy, consuming flame of heaven. They don't believe it. They believe it here, but they don't believe it here. I knew my old man's belt was four inches wide. He had a 50-inch waist. Do you know how long a 50-inch belt is? I knew the fear of my father. My mother said, wait till your father gets home. I started crying. It was, it was over. You know, I was a dead man walking, you know? I knew it. They knew God was real. Take a look at this, verse 2. Yahweh our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. Okay, now we talked before about the covenant that he made with Abraham. He put Abraham to sleep. God himself passed through the sacrifice. He made the promise of an eternal future to Abraham with himself. So it was binding upon him to bless the remnant of Abraham's descendants. So we know that one. This is different. This is a conditional covenant. This is, you will be my people. I will be your God. However, you have to do what I tell you to do. There's an if clause in the covenant at Horeb, at Mount Sinai. There's an if. And it's if you obey me, if you do what I tell you, if you don't turn away. And then he's going to go through the Ten Commandments. Yahweh our God has made a covenant with us at Horeb. He uses the holy name of God. Not the ambiguous Baal. Not the ambiguous Adonai. Adonai could be anything. He says this. Verse 4. The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain 
out of the midst of the fire. So using God's holy name, the covenant name that he makes with Abraham, the name that is exclusive to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he says he spoke to you face to face at the mountain out of the midst of the fire. See, when he led them, the cloud by day, the fire by night, he never spoke to them. They heard the lightning and the thundering and all that stuff. But now God was going to speak his words to them. Why? So that they would know it was God. They would know it was him. In fact, look at verse 5. While I stood between Yahweh and you at that time to declare to you the word of Yahweh. For you were afraid because of the fire and you did not go up on the mountain. Remember the people? The people were terrified. They said, Moses, don't let God speak to us. We'll we'll die. Because why? Because they knew that if they heard God's voice and they heard God's expectation from God's lips, they would have no excuse not to obey God. Isn't that why many of us would rather hear the preacher read than read the word ourselves? Isn't that why so many Christians go to churches where the pastor never reads the Bible? He makes vague references to Bible stories, but he never actually lays out the text. He never removes the doubt. If I just preach to you what I think and what I feel and what I've seen in my life, you can say, that's just Pastor Stidham's experience. That's just for him. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to lay the words before you so the guilt lays fully upon your head, the weights upon your neck to act upon what God himself has given you. In fact, you have the word in your hand. There's no doubt what God has said. That's the important part. Now consider this. Exodus 20, 20. I love this. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you. Now this word test means to evaluate your mettle. As if he were a sword maker and he had thrust the metal into the heat and he pulled that raw beginning sword out and he began to hammer on it and he was testing the integrity of it and he would cut it and fold it and bang it and cut it and fold it and bang it as the Japanese did when they were making their samurai swords. 300, 600 folds of steel so tight, no air in the middle, they didn't rust, they were razor sharp. God is testing us, he is evaluating us. So he says this, For God has come to evaluate you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. Why did God appear as fire and thunder and lightning? Why was he so terrifying? First of all, his righteousness, his holiness is terrifying. But only to those who are sinners. Only to those who are far off. But he wants you to understand, he is a God who does not play games. He is a God with absolute standards. And he gave you, he gave them the absolute standards so that there would be no doubt as to what he expected. See, sometimes when we read the Bible, we say, you know what? I know the person that applies to. Oh yeah, Pastor Jim, he was preaching at this person. And he was preaching at that person. And he must have been preaching at him. Here's the problem. If you don't feel stepped on, you ain't listening. Because when I preach, I feel stepped on. I feel like God's kicking me going, hey, that's you too, buddy. That's you, you know? You have the same problem. You get the same issue. In fact, the harder I preach on a thing, you can be certain. The more I preach on it, the more I feel it. Because the more I say, ouch, the more it hurts me, the more it's going to come out in that passion, in that vehemence. Because that's something I'm struggling with. That's something I'm fighting in my own life as well. And so since we all struggle with the same things, that's why we have to know that God has those standards. So that we don't try and play games. We don't try and get out from under it. We don't try and say, well, that was just Moses talking. That was just uh, the way they wrote it down. That's somebody's interpretation. That's a different translation of the Bible. And I found a few translations of the Bible made by unique individuals. And I don't know where they read it, but it ain't any any text I ever saw. They come up with their own unique verses to support their own unique sin. The Lord said it. And he took away all doubt by using God's holy name. He says, I stood 
I stood before the flames because you were afraid. But I didn't want you to be afraid. I wanted you to understand that this is the holy God of heaven. And you better listen because there's consequences to disobedience. So he's taking them right back to the very first foundational moments that they stood before God. So you know what? This is important. That's when he starts off. This is important. Why? Because the Lord said, what did he say? I'll tell you what he said. Deuteronomy 5, 6 through 10 is what he said. Be faithful. That is God's first message. And he said, I am Yahweh your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in the heavens above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, Yahweh your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but shall steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. God was saying, here is how I will know that you understand who I am. Because if you know who I am, you will keep my laws. What is God's purpose? Is it to really kill off all of our fun? Is it to restrain us? Is it to keep us from having as much fun as the pagans? Is that why God does it? No. He does it, one, to save us from the stupidity of our fellow human beings. If you think about it and look at the Ten Commandments, look at how they relate to our relationship to God, that's where it begins, our relationship to God. You see, how you relate to God, that's going to shape how you relate to everybody else. If you've got a crappy relationship with God, you're going to have crappy relationships with everybody else. You know why? If you don't honor and revere and respect the maker of all things, you're not going to respect his creation, are you? Of course not. You're not. Look at this, verse 6. I am Yahweh your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Why is that so important? Why does Moses continually go back to the Passover? Why does he keep coming back to the moment of deliverance? Because that is the moment that sets them apart from everybody else on earth. What sets you apart from every other person on the face of the earth? You have been saved by Jesus Christ, right? That is what makes us different. We're not smarter than other people. We're not better looking. Well, some of us are. We're not better looking than other people. We're not wealthier. We're not more famous. We, we don't have more influence than other people. What makes us special? God set his love on us where we had done nothing to deserve it. We deserved hell. We deserved damnation. But God set his love on us. The people who were in Egypt, many of the Israelites had lapsed into idolatry. They were worshiping pagan gods. And God said, okay, it's been 400 years. It's time to come out of that slavery. And he did that by showing them what the true face of God looks like. He says, okay, you worship those other idols. You worship that job. You worship that marriage. You worship those children. You worship that money. You worship those skills and abilities I gave you. You worship all those things. You worship your career in the military. You worship your career as a prison guard. You worshiped all of the things that I gave you rather than me. But now it's over. This is where it ends. This night, you stand before me and you know for certain you are nothing. You have nothing. You have never been anything apart from my gracious love poured out on you. Amen. That's the thing that changed them. He wanted them to see you didn't get out of Egypt because you were bad. You got out of Egypt because I loved you and I took you out. I delivered you. I sent you Moses. I performed the miracles. I opened the Red Sea and I spoke to you from that mountain. 
I am Yahweh your God who brought you up out of that land. To this day, it is the one thing that makes the people of God the people of God. They have experienced his deliverance. The Jews experienced it in the Exodus. We experienced it at the cross of Christ. Amen. We've all been touched by God's deliverance. Look at verse 7. You shall have no other gods before me. Consider Matthew 10, 37, 38, and 39. Whoever loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That is the definition of no other gods. The most intimate relationships that we have on the earth cannot supersede our relationship to God. Why? Because he gave us our wives. He gave us our children. He gave us everything that we have. Amen. Consider this. Whoever does not take up his cross. Gentlemen, good news. Your wife is not your cross. Ladies, your husband may be the bane of your existence, but he is not your cross. A cross is nothing that is painful or hurtful or, or is just a real pain in the neck. You know what a cross is? A cross is what you willingly do for the cause of Jesus Christ. That is a cross. That's why you have to pick it up. If you say, I have a blindness in one eye, that's my cross to bear. No, that's not, a, that's not a cross. All that is is you're blind in one eye. When you decide that in spite of everything, you're going to serve Jesus Christ, and you're going to witness, and you're going to share gospel tracts, and you're going to go on a mission trip to the Philippines, or to China, or to Vietnam, or you're going to go on a huge mission trip to downtown Tacoma, into the biggest part of the hood, and you're going to share Jesus with the homeless, as well as a sandwich and a you know, cup of coffee. That's when you take up a cross, when you take up that mission for God. He says, if you're not willing to pick up something for me, to make me known, to serve me, to bless me, to honor me, to glorify me, then you're not worthy to be called my, my disciple. Question is, can you put your father and mother first and still be a Christian? No. I have heard it said by some people somewhere that I have to honor my parents first. Okay, if you think that, rethink your salvation because your parents didn't save you Jesus did we must show respect to our parents we must show love to our parents our parents ain't God they are flawed sinful individuals just like us they're still a blessing mamas are a blessing daddies are a blessing and they're right daughter mamas and daddies are a blessing see I love that child yes okay but we ain't God we ain't God. You don't serve your parents and say, Lord, I'll serve you later because my mom is sick and my dad is... No. Serving God will lead you back to serving your parents. Sons and daughters, same thing. You don't ignore God simply because your children have this desire to go off and be a rock star or go off and be a ballerina or something. Children have to find their place. So guys, we all know what the pecking order is, right? Lord our God, wife, children, church, right? Church is always behind spouse and children. Anybody want to debate that one? So I got about a seven month study on that one. Just waiting for y'all to pick that one up. Church is always last behind the family that God gave you to lead. Amen. Do you know why? Because the scripture says that the man is the priest of the family. He answers only to God. Men don't answer to the pastor. Women don't answer to the pastor. You know why? Because you answer to your husband. He answers to God. The pastor is just a mouthpiece out there doing his thing. Amen? Never walk in fear of manly given authority because it's got no power over you. And this says it. If you love your mother and father more, 
then you're not worthy of me. Love your children more? You're not worthy of me. You're not willing to serve me and give me your whole life? Give me your attention? Give me everything? You're not worthy of me. That's what it says right there. You shall have no other gods before me. And the greatest gods that we worship other than the Lord God is our families. It's the truth. Deuteronomy 5.9 You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, Yahweh your God, am a jealous God, a protective God, an all-consuming God. I don't share power. I don't share your love. It belongs to me first. I gave you your wife. I gave you your husband. I gave you your children. They are to be loved, cherished, and appreciated. But I am to be worshipped. It is my will first, then theirs. So guys, that's what the word of God says. It's not me creating something. It's not me making it up. Anybody else that says any difference, a liar. Of course, you heard that before, haven't you? Okay, so do we as Americans bow down and worship anything other than the one true God? I will tell you right here and now, many Americans worship the Constitution. They worship state laws. They worship political parties. They worship certain governmental people who have risen to certain positions of authority and they put them in an elevated position that they are not worthy of. Not because they're not doing a good job, but simply because nobody gets God's place as the ultimate allegiance. And the way we evaluate anybody in our life is where they fall in the pecking order of heaven. If the person that we're looking at be a musician, a sports writer, an athlete, or whatever, if they have not got God as the first prayer in their life, they do not deserve a place in our pecking order because they are going to lead us into idolatry. And there are a lot of men who are idolatrous when it comes to sports figures. We worship sports figures because we want to be them. And we hold such great respect. I know one guy has sacrificed hundreds of thousands of dollars to collect all the memorabilia for a sports team that we won't name. <coughs> Chicago Cubs. Anyways, um, but he worships those men as if they were little gods. And the thing is, when you worship men, you worship a fallen, fractured mirror of the true God of heaven. And that's why he says, don't make any figures. Don't cut out any stone idols. Don't put no little statues of Jesus up there. Don't put no pictures of Jesus up there that you're going to look at and think that that's somehow going to bring you luck. We're so superstitious. How many people have little crosses that they hang around their neck? Not because it's jewelry, but because they think it's going to protect them. I saw a great vampire movie once. This guy is really frightened and the vampire is coming up and he whips out this giant silver cross. Ah, ah. The guy says, hey, you have to believe in that for it to work. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if you don't believe in it, it don't work. That's the truth of it, people. God is not hocus pocus. He is not the genie in the box. You don't rub it and say the right words and he pops out. You either have the right relationship to him or he ain't in the house. You understand what I'm saying? Till you are rightly aligned with Jesus, don't bother calling because... He doesn't respond to someone that's not rightly related to him. Unless, of course, they're calling out for salvation. Deuteronomy 5, 10, and we're finished. But showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and who keep my commandments. So, you know, that says what? Steadfast love is mercy and favor. God shows good favor to his people. He shows mercy to those who call out to him and who rely upon his mercy and his grace and who keep his commandments. What is the number one commandment of God post-Jesus? They came to Jesus. What must I do to work the works of God? What did he say? Believe in him whom God has sent. The number one commandment is I belong to Jesus Christ 110% 
every day for the rest of my life. Everything else goes on the back burner. Everything else is secondary to serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And you say, I can't do that, Pastor. It's too hard. Then I say one thing. You probably ain't saved. That is harsh, but let me tell you the truth. If you ain't saved, you can't serve God. If you, if you ain't saved, you're not going to be able to serve Him because you have no internal motivation. You have no Holy Spirit pushing you forward. Now that was just a blanket statement. If you're having trouble following God, I'm not taking away your salvation. So just get off that high horse. I can see it in your face already. Anyways, all I'm saying is this. God fills us with His Holy Spirit for one purpose. That we might serve Him. If you have neither the desire nor the power, you have to consider this. It is God who works in us both to will and to do His good will. That means if you are born again, if you are saved, if you are dwelt by the Holy Spirit, you have both the desire and the ability to serve God 110%. So don't tell me you can't. You can tell me that you won't. You can tell me that it's too high a price to pay. You can tell me that your lady's going to bust your hump if you do it. But don't tell me you can't. Because you can. Because God says, I can cause my servant to stand. That was last week's sermon. Let's go on. So how about you? God has spoken clearly to us through his word. The word of God is clear. It's unequivocal. It's unarguable. It has not changed in 3,500 years for the Old Testament, 2,000 for the New. Look up any translation you want except for the whack jobs who run the cults out there and you will find the same expectations from the same God every time. So don't tell me you don't know what it means. It's there. Two, he has made his covenant with us by faith in Jesus Christ. Right? He says, whosoever calls upon the name of us shall be saved. If we're saved, we're filled. If we're filled, we're called to serve him. That's unarguable too. Finally, what do I love more than God? What consumes my thoughts and affections more than him? Whatever it is, get rid of it. Whatever it is that obsesses you, that you live for more than the Lord, you need to get rid of it. But what is it? What is the hobby? What is the obsession that you are so caught up with that you just think, I can't live without that? Well, get rid of it. Put it out of your life. And then whatever energies and thoughts and time you wasted on it, give it to the study of God's Word, to spreading God's Word, teaching God's Word, discipling men around you, and your life will become everything you never thought it could be. And that's not my promise. That's a promise from the Lord. So let's pray. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in today to listening to our programs. We appreciate your attention. We present this for you as a way of building up God's people, giving you hope in these dark days. They are presented to you commercial-free. We don't solicit money from any companies, Bible organizations, or churches. We put it out there because we believe wholeheartedly that the Word of God is the only hope this country or any country could have. Because we present it to you commercial-free, we do ask you to search your heart. If you feel the need to support us in any way, it, it, could, be a, it could be a love offering, a gift, send me enough for a cup of coffee. I'd really appreciate it. You can send all support to Richard Stidham, S-T-I-D-H-A-M, Richard Stidham at Box 1321. Baytown, Texas, 77521, and everything you send to us will be used to keep this podcast on the air. Have a great day. God bless, and remember, keep looking up. Our salvation is drawing near.